0: Okay, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please open up to Galatians chapter 5. We have been uh, working our way uh, through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And um, today we'll finish up chapter 5 by uh, taking a look at verses 13 through 26, but we'll take it a bite at a time. Let's begin with verses 13 that's a 15. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourselves, as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. Or you will be destroyed by each other. Lord, thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word. Give me grace today, O God, that I can speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving to them. Lord, let the the fruit of it be this. Make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Okay. Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. You, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. We indeed are called to be free. Every single one of us, every follower of Jesus, we're all called to freedom. We're called to be free, to live free. We looked at that profound verse, that profound statement on freedom last week in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. When Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And make no mistake, the slavery that we're not to be burdened again by. And from which we have been set free is this. It's religion. <laughs> We've been set free from religion. We've been set free from the bondage of religious slavery. And we're to stand firm in that freedom. So as St. Paul said to the Galatians, I say to you again this morning, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. And astonishingly, astonishingly with that freedom, with the freedom that he's given us, get this, You're not going to hear this in too many churches. (laughs) Astonishingly, with that freedom is the freedom to indulge the flesh. God's ways are not our ways. If I was God, I would absolutely put a stop to your capability to sin. I would put something in you by the power of the Spirit, which will flip the switch or remove something or put something in that indulging the flesh would no longer be an option. But he's given us such great freedom. That inherent in that freedom is the capability to indulge the flesh. If it were not so, it wouldn't be freedom. If it were not so, Paul wouldn't be cautioning against it right now. He wouldn't have to make the statement. In grace, in grace, every single one of us has the freedom to commit acts of sin. And there's a good chance that all of us have already exercised that freedom at some point today, maybe on a drive to church, I don't know. Maybe you and I used to have some of our best fights on in the car, on drive to church in the morning. Especially if I, you know, when I was being trained, right, babe? <laughs> and, I, and I have that opportunity uh, every few months, I got to preach, you know. Hey, I was so stressed out, <laughs> I would exercise that freedom to indulge the flesh in the car with the kids in the back, you know. So we are indeed free to indulge the flesh. Paul cautions against doing so and exhorts us to instead use our freedom to another end, to serve one another humbly in love. Reminding, in these first couple of verses, reminding those who are such huge proponents of the law that the entirety of the law is fulfilled in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this question concerning grace and the freedom to sin has been around a long time. It's still bantered about pretty passionately in church circles and among the more theologically minded. It's a big deal. Those who are most strongly against an emphasis on the grace of God um, are against it for this reason. They have fear that if we communicate too much of God's love and grace that people will be free to just go crazy and do whatever they want. And they, they would rather control them. That's, that's what pastors want to do. We, sometimes we want to micromanage people's lives. And so grace grace is like a danger to our system. right? What if our people just do whatever they want to do instead? Well, what if they do? <laughs> They're that free. You absolutely are that free. I have no desire to control you. Right? I can barely control me. I don't want to control you. You don't want me to control you. So this question concerning grace and freedom from freedom to sin has been around a long time. Paul addresses it, the question extensively in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. If this is a question you wrestle with, my encouragement to you is take some time, read through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, and see what you come up with. Paul addresses it extensively. But let me just touch on a few things that, that he's saying so you don't misunderstand. Right Now listen to me. Paul is in no way advocating for sin. He's not advocating for sin. He's just saying we have the freedom to do it. And so in Romans 5.20, he says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So even when we sin, from God's end of the equation, there's even more grace. Absolutely true. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. He's addressing this very same issue. By no means. And down in verse 15 of Romans 6, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you you get he's not advocating for sin. And he doesn't even end there. He goes on to say, but even if we do, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the Lord of the Spirit, who gives life, has set us free, from the law of sin and death. Woo! Amen, right? We're free from the, we are free from the law. We're no okay. longer under law. And inherent in that freedom, in that grace, is the capacity to sin. Our own lives are proof of this reality. And though Paul's not a- advocating that we exploit grace and use it, uh, that freedom to sin, he is cautioning us against that very practice. Now I have a, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Robert farrah capon. anybody else ever hear of him he's He passed away a few years ago He was an episcopal priest from new york he was he He lived and served in in the New York City area for decades he's a prolific author he was a chef um, and just a uh, just pretty impressive guy in an, in an interview he did once for uh for a program called uh, Thirty Good minutes uh with a guy by the name of Floyd Brown, uh, uh, Robert Farrah Capon, he, he addresses this very question concerning Grayson and sin. And so uh, Capon had said a few things and it's kind of blowing the interviewer's mind, Lloyd Brown's mind. He's like, it's, it's so outside of his box of understanding that, that Brown says to, to Capon this, he says, I have got to have a script. You've got to give me a worksheet. What am I to do day to day? So Capon's saying, you got freedom, you got grace, and this just blowing this guy's mind. He, in essence, what he's saying is, I, I really prefer the law. I like to know, these, this is my list of dues. this is my list of do's, and what do I do now? And this is how Capon responds. I think it's just wonderful. He says, well, one of the problems with any authentic pronouncement of the gospel is that it introduces us to freedom. The point is that as long as the world runs the show, what it tries to say is that if you do something wrong, God will get you. What it said in Jesus is, by the blanket absolution of everybody and the death of Christ, that God's not going to get anybody. For example, who is in heaven? People think it's the good guys. There's nobody in heaven but forgiven sinners because there was nobody available to go to heaven except forgiven sinners. And there's nobody in hell except forgiven sinners. The difference is, in heaven, they accepted the forgiveness. In hell, they rejected it. That's it. You can't get into hell by being bad. You get into heaven by being bad and accepting forgiveness. Now, does that mean, now, that does, in a way, mean you have permission to be bad I love this next part if you stick your hand in a meat grinder you're free to do that it's stupid (laughs) but God isn't gonna run the universe that way God is not going to punish he cares more about relationship than behavior oh you see why I love this guy does it sound like some of the things I've been saying that you sit here every Sunday I love what he says he says now That does in a way mean that you have permission to be bad. You have permission to be bad. If you want to stick your hand in the meat grinder, you're free to do that. It's stupid, but God's not going to run the universe that way. God is not going to punish. He cares more about relationship than behavior. In grace, we're free to stick our hand in the meat grinder. Both Paul and Capon caution against it, and um, I would add, you know, My vote into that side of the equation as well. I don't think it's a good idea to stick a hand in a meat grinder. I'm a big fan of uh, the book, The Shack. And in one conversation between Papa and the main character, Mac, Papa says this to Mac. He says, I do not need to punish people for sin. Sin is its own punishment, devouring you from the inside. It's not my purpose to punish it. It is my joy to cure it. God doesn't need to punish us for sin. He sent Jesus to be the cure for sin on the cross. And we've talked about that about that before. God has no need to punish us. Do you realize how magnificent he is? How awesome he is? How all-powerful he is? There's nothing inherent in his nature where he has a need to punish. He comes to rescue. He comes to cure. He comes to love us. He created us for relationship and love. Jesus came to cure us from the disease of sin. And in the book, The Shack, Papa says it's his joy to do so. Verse 15, we're still in Galatians 5, verse 15 seems to indicate the ramifications of indulging the flesh. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. The, the meat grinder is indeed quite destructive. Verses sixteen to eighteen. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I love the word "so." The word so is a transitional word. It's so, in light of what I just said, listen to what I'm about to say now. So, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen carefully to that sentence. Because I'm convinced of all my years of being in the church that almost no one hears that sentence correctly. Paul writes, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Most of us, When we hear that sentence, we're not hearing what it says. Most of us hear exactly opposite of what it says. This is what we hear when we read that sentence. Don't sin and you'll walk by the Spirit. That's what we hear. By not gratifying the desires of the flesh, you'll walk by the Spirit. And that's not what it says. It's absolutely not what it says. It says completely the opposite. What it says is this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Where's the emphasis? What's the proactive posture? What's the action we're to take? What's the activity that we're challenged to undertake? It's this. It's to walk by the Spirit. We're challenged to walk by the Spirit. And in so doing, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? Where's the emphasis? The emphasis isn't on managing your sin. The the emphasis isn't on keeping your sin at bay. The emphasis is on walking in the Spirit. And the difference is dramatic. John Paul Jackson used to say this, what we focus on, we make room for. And I've discovered this in my life. You may have discovered it in yours as well. If we focus on sinning, we sin. (laughs) Right? If we focus on walking in the Spirit, we indeed walk in the Spirit. Anybody here ever been on a diet? I've been on a thousand diets in my life. Right? When I focus on the diet... You know what I think about? I think about food, man. I think about Nadine's homemade chocolate chip cookies. I think about almost anything homemade that Nadine makes. About her awesome food. That's what happens when I go on a diet. (laughs) I keep sending her links and texts to all these different wonderful recipes that I see. That's what happens when I go on a diet. What I focus on, I make room for. It's true, man. That's my reality. How about you? What you focus on, you make room for. Let me say that in a more nerdy way. As, as Qui-Gon Jinn said to a young Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars 1, The Phantom Menace, <laughs> he said these profound words, always remember, your focus will determine your reality. Always remember, your focus will determine your reality. Focus is critical. You know what I've discovered? It's especially critical in the difficult times. It's especially difficult on the dark days. That's why I took a Sunday a few weeks back on the topic of focus. You might want to listen to it if you weren't here. I've heard it said that there are two wolves at war on our chests. And the one who wins is the one that we feed. The wolf who wins. Is the wolf that we feed. And I think that's exactly what Paul's trying, the point he's trying to make in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. So my encouragement is this. Feed the Holy Spirit side of things. Focus on the spirit. Walk in the spirit. And in so doing, in that positive focus, you'll discover less and less sin will become an issue for you. Now Paul takes the next five verses to describe the two rules, <laughs> to describe the two sides, the flesh and the spirit. First the flesh and then the spirit. So verses 19 to 23. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I don't think anybody in this room could argue with either list, right? Most sane people would agree that the flesh stuff is bad and the spirit stuff is good. Agree? Now, let me offer some observations. If you see the evidence of the flesh stuff in your life, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, then there needs to be a change of focus. If that's the evidence that you see, if you look around your life and say, I'm surrounded by this stuff, then there needs to be a new focus. You need to walk by the spirit. You need to focus on the spirit side of things. You need to feed that other wolf, right? In verse 21, Paul warns us, he says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting statement. Interesting statement he would make within the context of of all all that he writes in Galatians. So is verse 21, when he says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, is this a nod to salvation by works? I think some wrongly interpret it that way. But if he does, then the rest of the letter, if that's true... The rest of the letter makes no sense. If this is a nod to salvation by works or performance-based Christianity, um, then the rest of the letter makes no sense. His other epistles, Romans, makes no sense. Ephesians makes no sense. It would be entirely incongruent with the rest of the letter. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's dynamic rule and reign. I believe Paul's point here in saying that those who behave this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. I believe that what he's saying is if we live according to the flesh, we'll miss out on the daily benefits of walking with God day by day, of, his, of the manifestation of his presence and his power and his authority on our spiritual journeys. Our focus won't be on the things of the spirit, it'll be on the things of the flesh. It's simply cannot apply to salvation. Otherwise, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, are meaningless. Where he writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right? So Paul's not advocating for sin. But I think neither is he saying that's the way you get to heaven, by avoiding sin. Right? Right? Who's available to go to heaven? Forgiven sinners. That's who's available. That's all of us. Those who have accepted that forgiveness. Now, on the other hand, if you see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, there's a good chance that you're on the right path, that your focus is very good, and that you are indeed headed in the right direction. Why? Doesn't matter. Yes, it matters. It matters because it impacts how we think and how we choose to live. So many of us have been conditioned so long to performance-based approach to our faith that sometimes texts like this just beat us to death, and it robs us of the freedom that's truly ours in Christ Jesus. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to dismantle that time bomb, right? trying to help you live free. And also, this is very important. Consider this. I've watched people use uh, verses 22 and following, the list of the fruit of the Spirit, as a stick to beat people up. Right? They give you the list of bad things not to do, and then there's a, it's as if there's a whole new list of Ten Commandments of the things you're supposed to do. Right? Love, joy, peace. And just beat you up with it. Oh, I'm not loving enough. I'm not peaceful enough. I don't have enough joy. Right? But this is very important. Let me ask you this question. Whose fruit is it? (laughs) It's not your fruit. He doesn't say this is the fruit of your life. It's the Spirit's fruit. It's not your fruit. It's not your fruit. It's not your fruit. It's not your job to produce this in your life. It is the Spirit's fruit. And you get the Spirit's fruit by walking in the Spirit. If it were your fruit, if it were the product of your strong, determined efforts and high performance, then we're just back to works. It's the spirit's fruit. It is the result of walking side by side with God. It's the natural result. Fruit is the natural result of a branch abiding in the vine. Back in our Washington days, man, we we had grape vineyards all over the state. We had apple vineyards all over the state. I never drew by one of those vineyards and heard the groans of fruit trying to force its way from a branch through the vine. From the vine through a branch and pop out, right? You ever heard any? Never drove by and heard, Ugh! and something pop out. Never heard it. Never once heard. Never once heard that. Why? This is no work. There's no effort in the production of fruit. And John... 15.5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you wear, will bear much fruit. And then he adds this, apart from me, you can do nothing. If there's, if there's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, it comes because we as branches are connected to him, the vine. And his life flows through us, and fruit is the natural outcome. It's, it's what's designed to happen. How does fruit not come forth? Only if the branch is disconnected from the vine. So your whole emphasis, your whole thing is this. Connection. Connection to life. Connection to the source. Relationship. Intimate relationship between you and God. Your focus isn't to be on not doing the bad things. And your focus isn't even to be on producing the fruit. It's the spirit's fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is. So where does the fruit come from? Man, it comes from Jesus. It comes from our the evidence of our lives and relationship with Him. It's the evidence of intimacy and loving friendship with God. And you know what? That's what He's always wanted. That's what God has always, from the very beginning, from for all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that's what he's wanted. He's wanted friendship with you, with humanity. He wanted, just like he did with Adam and Eve, to walk with us in the cool of the day. And that's what was lost in the fall. So it's all about friendship. And then Paul ends chapter 5 with these words. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. you know what as followers of Jesus, the flesh truly is powerless it's already been crucified. the only power the flesh has is the power we give to it it's it's like someone who's dead and they're on life support right the only life that's there. Is being supported artificially. We're we're dead. In Christ Jesus, we're dead. But, you know, we all have our life support systems. (laughs) I have mine, right? Sometimes they manifest in the car on the way to church on Sunday morning. From a spiritual perspective, the flesh has already been crucified. We just need to find ways to stop pumping life into it. And going forward, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The flesh is death. Life, true life, is in the Spirit. So we want to live by the Holy Spirit. We want to walk by the Spirit. We want to keep in step with the Spirit. We want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit's tempo and rhythm for our lives. We want to... Go when he says go. We want to stop when he says stop. And what makes that easier is when we were able to hear his voice. When we listen to his voice. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so keeping in step with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, is as simple as this. listening to his voice and then following where He leads. We speak when He says speak. We remain silent when He tells us to be silent. We move in the gifts of the Spirit when He inspires us to do so. Jesus is the perfect example. The life of Jesus is the perfect example of living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. I love these verses from John chapter 5, in one of Jesus' many conflicts with the religious leaders of his day, this is what he says in John 5, verse 19, and the, the first part of that next verse, 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. That's life by the Spirit having eyes to see what God's doing, having ears that can hear the voice of God and following with, following when he leads. So we've, read, we've studied through the, all of the Gospel of John, and there are times where Jesus goes in and, man, and, and the text will tell us everyone was healed. And then there are other times he'll, he'll go to where the sick are gathered, and he heals one person. It's not a formula, right? It's not a system. It's not a program. It's simply following God, listening to His voice, and going where He's going. And we're learning how to do that here. Just in the, in this morning's time of worship, how many different people were inspired to get up and say something at some point because we heard God do it. We're learning in our in our corporate gatherings how to hear God and respond to Him. And my hope is this, is that if you can get comfortable, and even familiar with what it's like to do that here, well, then it'll become... a more common practice in your life out there. Oh, I recognize the voice of God. I've heard God speak to me before. I know what it sounds like. And though it might be scary right now, I'm really convinced it's Him. And so you go over and you talk to that person. Or you encourage them. Or you just silently pray for them. Or whatever God tells you to do. Whatever you see that the Father's doing. That's walking with the Spirit. That's living by the Spirit. And it's a ton of fun. (laughs) One final note from verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. You know what I've learned over the years? The father really likes it when his kids play nice together. He really does. So let's pray. Father, I pray for myself and for my friends today. Would you help us grasp the full reality of grace? Help us, oh God. And the full freedom that's ours in it. That freedom that you have actually called us to. And Lord, with that freedom, I pray that you would grant every single one of us the wisdom to keep our hands out of the meat grinders. Even now, Lord, I pray for my friends. Give them a picture of their meat grinder and what they're supposed to keep their hands out. Do it, Lord. Give them the wisdom. Give them the courage. Give them the help from heaven to stay out of the meat grinder. Lord, I pray that we would change our focus and that our focus would be on you, that we would be a people who fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, make of us, the people gathered here today, make of us, O oh God, a people who walk truly walk by the Spirit. Make of us a people who live by the Spirit, who keep in step with the Spirit. Make us a people who intimately relate with you, commune with you day by day amen amen now god's given me some prophetic words for this morning and um and i do want to leave a opportunity i want to open it up is there anybody else here that during the message or during worship you feel like god put something on your heart that you'd like to uh, share with the rest of us maybe a word of knowledge somebody that has a need that we can pray for does anybody have anything like that? Should I go first? I, I don't know word, but... What do you got? Tell me what. what I really, really got.
1: Sorry, my head is
0: gone.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, your message was great, Tom. Thank But I can feel the like, I just want to offer maybe a different perspective or add a dimension to what sure. you're saying because I Go for feel it. the questions in the air. <laughs> like, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? And through your whole message, I was being reminded... Oh, I just lost the first. Sorry. I was being reminded through the whole thing Romans 7. Bear with me here, I'm sorry, it just went away. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin it living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it those words used to drive me crazy I never used to get those verses but now I feel like I've got a little hand a little handle on it and Tom was saying don't stick your hand in the meat grinder but we're going to <laughs> like we're in a fallen world we're always going to sin we're always going to sin sin is inevitable sometimes you know I'm thinking of my kid and sometimes you just got two crappy choices you know sin is inevitable like don't beat yourself up for putting your hand in the meat grinder amen I guess like don't make it about the meat grinder like sometimes we like strive and we strive and we strive and we strive and we strive not to put our hand in the meat grinder it's going to happen and the other verse that Tom talked about, what was it with from the shack about? I don't need to punish sin.
0: Sins its own punishment. Yeah,
1: like we punish ourselves enough for it, <laughs> right? Like we punish it enough. Um, yeah, like that's kind of it. But I mean, I think part of living by the Spirit, I live for what Tom's talking about, like those moments where you get the prophetic stuff. I love that. But I think there's another like I feel like it's <laughs> good. <ahead. laughs> I don't want to make it sound mean, but you're making it kind of wooba wooba. Like it's all about the wooba wooba stuff. Like how can I interact with other people and how can I like for me there's another dimension of the spirit where it's just like you talked about the the relationship with him where it's like God, I'm really struggling with this sin. God, I'm really having a problem with this. Like talking to him like you would talk to your friend, like you would talk to your, your partner, your whatever, like calling out for help. Like sometimes, like Tom says all the time, I feel like 10 pounds of sin in a five pound bag, like where you're just being pummeled by the sin that you're doing or whatever. And just reaching out to him, like that's part of the relationship, I think. And yeah, just to Add another dimension
0: to the. I wholeheartedly, <laughs> wholeheartedly agree. I
1: felt like, there, like you were adding like a wooboo and people were going new, and this is like I could just kind of feel like people were like.
0: Ah. Thank you. <laughs> <Yes>. Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else sense anything or feel anything you'd like to share? No. Okay, well, let me share. Um, I felt like for Father's Day, I felt like this was the Father's heart toward you. I feel like he's given me seven things to share. And he He, he never does it, he doesn't often do it the same way twice. It's always like a fresh or different spin. And so I felt um, over the last few days, he's given me some fatherly encouragements uh, for you guys. One one is a warning and the rest are encouragements. And But I don't know who they're for. And so it's kind of, I'm going to be the sower who goes out and scatters seed and you know, let it land uh, where it lands, and um, if any of these uh, land on your heart, and it feels like, oh yeah, that really resonates with me, or you can get a a sense of a witness, a spirit of truth in your own heart, then come up there in the final song, and and we'll pray for you. You don't even have to tell us which one it is, but these are the seven things um, that I got, and so the first one um, is a warning. Like, sometimes the role of a father is to give warnings to their kids, like, hey, this isn't a good idea, or you know, give fatherly counsel that something, something's up. And I don't know who it's for, but this is the, the sense of a warning they had gotten. And so, um, so has anyone here ever, you know, has anyone here ever been intoxicated? <laughs> and then something while well intoxicated that you really you regret to this day? Just the thought of it makes you cringe. Uh, I have too. I know what that's like. I feel like I got a word of warning for someone here today. Um, And the picture I got was this, that they were drinking, that the person is drinking from the cup of deception. And that the deception is intoxicating. And that the the intoxication of this deception distorts an unreality and makes it look and feel incredibly real. And just like with intoxication and the natural it, it, it impairs judgment. You know, there's a willingness to do things that when sober, when not drinking from the cup of deception, you'd never consider doing. Am I making sense? Okay. And so I feel like God is warning you today. He says that it's long past time to stop drinking from the cup of deception. it's time to wake up. And to wake up before this drunken behaviour causes you to do something that you'll actually regret for the rest of your life. The Lord says to you today, he says, it's time to stop. He says, it's time to stop today. It's imperative that you stop right now. I felt like he said to me that he's been warning you, but that you've been ignoring his voice, that he's warned you personally, and he's warned you privately, and now he's giving a warning publicly. this very day and so I have no idea what this is about I really don't I don't know who this is for but I pray oh God for whoever this person is I ask that they I thank you for your grace and for your love enough love to caution them again and again and Lord so we pray for our friend that you help them whomever they are that you rescue them from these circumstances that you lift the deception off of them open their eyes so they can truly see and set them free Rescue Lord from this, this circumstance. Amen. And so I don't I don't really give heavy words too often. I don't really like giving that one, but I felt like, you know, the the heart of a father was, yeah, sometimes sometimes dad has have to say that kind of stuff too. But there were I had other good things I, I really wanted to share. And so again, I don't know who these are for, but I really felt them heavy and strong this morning. There's someone here, at least one person. And the Lord wants you to know um, that you were created to be free. I don't think you're living in the fullness of that freedom right now, but you were created to be free, to live in freedom. And not only were you created to be free and live in freedom, he wants you to know that he created you to set other people free, that your calling, part of your destiny, part of your purpose in life is to set other captives free. It reminded me of a phrase that I haven't used in a whole lot of years, but he's called you to be an exporter of freedom. The freedom is to be so much who you are that you carry that freedom wherever you go and you bring freedom to other people. And so Lord, let that land on, on the right heart. And so for some other person, this is what they sense: that God loves you, that Papa loves you extravagantly. And that it's similar to the word about freedom, not only are you loved extravagantly, but you were created to be a conduit of his love. That you were created to experience his love and that his love would flow through you to love others. And there will be times in your life where he will cause you to love other people generously and extravagantly. And I felt like inherent in this was a calling to those who have been unloved, whom others might consider unlovable the outcast, the broken. The next word I had was about honor. And I felt like God was saying, there's someone here today that you have honor in heaven. That today you haven't seen too much honor being displayed in your life here on earth, but God wants you to know that you have honor in heaven and that you're even now stepping into a new season where you're going to soon see that very same honor in heaven begin to be reflected on earth. You have access to God the Father. You know what it's like to walk with the Spirit. And very soon now, uh, you're going to start having honor with people. It's kind of like favor. You you have favor with heaven, and soon that favor is going to be translated to favor here on earth. I think it's going to be in relationships with other people, family members, on the job. You're going to have favor. And so Lord, let that fall in the right heart. Just got three more. Um, For another person, I felt like the Lord was saying, it's time, that now is the time to dream. Now is the time to dream bigger dreams. Now is the time to dream God-sized dreams. It's time to take risks. It's time especially to take risks of faith. It's time to take risks of faith when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now is the time. Dream bigger dreams. Dream God-sized dreams. Take those leaps of faith and begin to experiment and explore with gifts of the Spirit. For another person, it was creativity. This is the picture I had. It's like I could see a smoldering fire in a fireplace. There's some fire there, but it's, I mean, you know what a raging fire looks like, right? It's not that. It's the opposite of the raging fire. And this is what I've seen. The fire is you. And I see God putting more logs on the fire. He's adding fuel to your passion he's stoking your passions and I see that these passions this fire is going to be um, demonstrated in creativity and I think specifically artistic uh, creativity God wants you to know that as you begin to explore this new creativity this artistic creativity birth out of passion that it's going to be messy that somehow some part of it's going to be messy and and you don't really like messy But he wants you to know he's okay with messy. And he's going to, in the process, he's going to help you become more okay with messy. And the last one, and you know, this could go to anybody. But I really felt it was specific to an individual. There is an invitation to intimacy. An invitation to intimacy between you and God. Um, This is what I felt. It was so strong that he desires you. That God has a desire for you. He desires one-on-one time with you. It was, almost, it was almost romantic. It was like the bridegroom for his bride. And taking her by the hand and leading her into a private place where they could share very private, personal time together. That that's the heart of God toward you. And so Lord, um, I pray that these seven words would fall on at least seven hearts today and that it would be life-giving uh, to our friends. And um, Lord, I pray um, uh, that um, you bring every single one of them to pass. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Can we have Angie and Colin come back up and lead us um, in a final song? As those, guys, uh, as those guys bring us to an end of the service, if any of those seven words uh, spoke to your heart, um, I invite you to come on up. And be happy to pray for you guys as we close out the service.